0: Hello and welcome to this Accent of Women's special edition on International Women's Day 2016. Today's show is dedicated to the tireless struggle of women in Australia and around the world for social, political, cultural and economic justice. We have put together parts of two of our recent interviews that showcase the role that women take in a number of campaigns to challenge capitalism and imperialism. Today's program will be divided into two parts. In the first part, we will hear about the role of American imperialism in the Asia-Pacific region, particularly in the Philippines. Lisa Massa, a Filipino activist visiting Australia, spoke with Accent of Women's Giselle Hanna about this and other issues. In the second part of the show, we will hear about the struggle of jornaleros, or rural workers, in the community of San Quintín, in the north of Mexico, south of the border of the United States, where workers live under conditions of 21st century slavery for a multinational fruit company, Driscoll. I spoke with Mexican teacher, activist, and former rural worker, Gloria Gracida, about this situation. First up, Giselle Hanna interviewed Filipina activist Lisa Massa, Lisa has been an activist for over 20 years, and she is the chairperson of Gabriela, the Filipino National Alliance of Women with presence in Australia. She is also honorary chairperson of the International Women's Alliance, amongst other organizations. She is currently visiting Australia, coinciding with International Women's Day. Lisa Massa spoke with Giselle about the U.S. bases in her country and gave us a broad perspective of the experience of her people in this context. You are listening to Accent of Women on International Women's Day.
1: Well, Lisa, thank you so much for your time and, um, you know, for coming to Australia and visiting with us. I thought to begin with, if you could introduce yourself and the organisations that you're from.
2: Yes, I'm Lisa Massa. I am from Gabriela Women's Alliance in the Philippines. Gabriela is a multi-sectoral umbrella organization for about 200 women's organizations in the Philippines. It is a mass-based organization of uh, women workers, um, peasant women, indigenous women, um, urban poor women, professionals, women youth, housewives. So it is a broad alliance of uh, women's organisations in the Philippines.
1: And your visit coincides with International Women's Day. Um, Is this uh, an event that is widely celebrated uh, but also an opportunity for struggle in the Philippines?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, Actually, I'm here for the 20th anniversary of Gabriela, Australia. But in the Philippines, um, since the... uh, formation of uh, Gabriela in 1984, we have led the militant uh, actions of women uh, during March 8th commemoration. So during March 8th, we focus on specific issues of women that uh, is very important. Like for this uh, March 8th, we are focusing on, because it's going to be elections in May, it's going to be national elections in may wherein we will elect our uh, the new uh, the president uh, down to the to the um, um, city or municipal level the public officials so this is also the occasion to highlight the agenda of women and the um, and the issues that remain unaddressed by the previous um, administrations, previous governments. So like, for example, the issue of poverty, because in the Philippines, 25% of Filipino women are still in poverty. And uh, for all Filipinos, it's about 70% who are in the poverty line. And uh, for the women workers, women workers uh, are still, especially now, uh, they are in casual work you know flexible arrangement they are contractuals they are not permanent many of the workers are not permanent so uh for the for the peasant women they still like 9 out of 10 farmers don't own the land they till and uh, especially for women you know? so The these are just some of the problems that uh, we are addressing. At the same time, of course, one very important uh, issue right now in the Philippines is in relation to the uh, to the um, Asia U.S. uh, pivot to Asia, Uh, wherein under this um, under this framework, our government uh, in twenty fourteen. Um, made an agreement with the United States for an enhanced defence cooperation uh, agreement wherein virtually the whole Philippines can be used um, for setting up of military facilities by the United States. So these are some of the issues that we're going to bring up this March 8th.
1: You you talked a little bit about the... um the United States, the military and their economic pivot to Asia. I know that the campaign against US bases in the Philippines is a long-standing historical campaign for the labour movement mm-hmm. of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. There are other um, campaigns against violence against women that Gabriela has been focusing mm-hmm. on, particularly um, justice for Jennifer Laude mm-hmm. and um Justice also for Nicole, who yes. was raped by um, a U.S. Marine. Can you talk a little bit about those campaigns, but also the broader campaigns against U.S. bases in the Philippines?
2: Yes. Well, in 1991, um, that was a historic moment for the Filipino people because uh, um, as a result of the uh, anti-basis campaign, which became very broad, the Senate uh, did not anymore pass a new treaty with the United States, you know, uh, for the use of our our land for for basing by the U.S. military. So that was an assertion of our sovereignty. That was an assertion of our territorial integrity. But we all know that after that moment the next government um, inked an agreement. It's called the Visiting Forces Agreement, wherein American soldiers go to the Philippines for military exercises. And it was in this uh, context and under this agreement that what you mentioned earlier, the case of Nicole, uh, the rape of um, a woman called Nicole, a Filipino woman, a young woman, uh, happened. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the perpetrator of the crime was virtually set free because of the problem of jurisdiction. Because uh, under this agreement, it, has very, uh, it is a very sticky point about jurisdiction such that the United States can go around the provisions so that the perpetrator of the crime is able to... to you know is able to get out from the offense and uh, even if our philippine courts already convicted the uh, the rapist of the crime he committed so it was um a direct up front to our sovereign laws to our justice system and of course our sovereignty as a as a country so of course uh, in 2014 um, when uh, when U.S. President Barack Obama visited the Philippines, that was the time when an executive agreement was uh, was uh, reached between the Philippine government and the and the U.S. government for an for an enhanced defense cooperation. So, under this agreement, the both the United States and the Philippines would uh, pinpoint. What they call agreed locations anywhere in the Philippines, for the setting up of facilities where they can, you know, uh, store uh, war material, where they can build bunkhouses for the thousands of soldiers that will come in. Of course, they're not saying it's the, These are bases. They're saying these are military facilities, but the use and of of these facilities are really. Like um, the U.S. bases uh, before, and uh, for us women, we know what this means. This means, you know, within this area where the soldiers are, again, uh, the um, the proliferation of the rest and recreation industry, the prolif, you know, the American soldiers committing crimes, and they are they are they go scot free the victims not getting justice you know they would uh, pay off or or if they are if they are brought to court because of this problem of jurisdiction they will be you know virtually set free so these are these are the problems and for us women we also know the, you know it's not only the actual offense and the crimes committed by the soldiers, but it is also the culture that is developed around these base areas. I remember in um, when the U.S. bases were there, uh, in Subic and Clark uh, Air Base. So in, in those, in the cities, in these two cities where the bases were, uh, there were soldiers on the streets, you know. There were, there was... Uh, this culture of violence, as we call it, this ideology of violence. Because one time you will see T-shirts being sold, and, and where there is a picture of a Filipino woman, and they will it has this lettering, words on this T-shirt saying, um, you know, uh, little brown uh, fucking machines eating rice. So that's how they depict and that this is the culture that is being spread in these areas you know so and we know uh, about children being victims also of uh, violence so this is uh, uh, integrated into the history of the U.S. bases into the presence of uh, U.S. soldiers in our country. That is why Gabriella is very much opposed to it. But not only Gabriela, but uh, um, the movement of workers, uh, trade unions, uh, Bayan, which is the umbrella organization of uh, patriotic, uh umbrella um, alliance of patriotic organizations, is spearheading and uniting the people. Uh, against
0: these and equal agreements. We just heard Giselle Hanna speaking with Filipino activist Lisa Massa about the role of the militarization and imperialism in the, of the United States in the Philippines. The complete interview will be played in full in upcoming weeks. It is International Women's Day and we are listening from campaigners and activists from around the world hear an accent of women. Next up, I interviewed Mexican teacher and activist Gloria Gracida. Since the age of 10, she began working in agricultural lands, property of multinational companies in the north of Mexico. She will be speaking about the struggle of the jornaleros, or rural workers in San Quintín, fighting for a life with dignity, about the formation of their union and the current international campaign to boycott Driscoll Berry Company.
3: Eh, bueno, mi nombre es Gloria Como de My filmas, name is Gloria Gracida Martínez, I am originally from the state of Oaxaca, in the south of Mexico. I moved north when I was five years old, with a migrant family coming from one of the poorest states in Mexico, Oaxaca. We arrived to Baja California, to the San Quintín Valley. My family, since we arrived there, have worked in agricultural fields. Many of them are still working in the fields, and even myself, I worked there since I was 10 years old. I witnessed all the injustice we endured, that the rural workers, the jornaleros, still live every day. These experiences motivated me to pursue a better future, and I went to school. I am a teacher. I have a master's degree in teaching, and this has helped me become a stronger voice. As a spokesperson for the movement of jornaleros in the USA and abroad, I think having an education helps in my role because I no longer work in the fields directly. For many of our companeros, it's almost impossible. If they openly express their concerns, if they publicly disagree with the mistreatment they receive, they are easily punished. They can be easily sacked. In my case, they cannot sack me or do much to so easily. So my voice can be stronger. And I can represent thousands of jornaleros, not only in San Quintin, but across Mexico.
0: Well, thank you very much for introducing yourself. This month, in March, there is the one-year anniversary of a historic march in which thousands of jornaleros and jornaleras rallied from San Quintin to the U.S. border. A group of workers mobilized to bring to the spotlight a list of demands that actually we could say that pretty basic demands in terms of respect of the minimum wages, provisions of sanitation and other basic necessities. And this march brought to the public eye the terrible working and living conditions that these workers endure in the north of Mexico. And that is a situation uh, that has been going on for decades Could you share with our audience about the inhumane conditions that the San Quintín Jornaleros are subject to?
3: As I have mentioned, people that come to work here do so in a situation of disadvantage already. They are the poorest of the poor. They come from the state of Oaxaca or Guerrero or Chiapas in the poorest South and are mainly indigenous people. About 80% are illiterate. Many of them are lied to by labor hire companies. They promise them a place to live and good wages. But when they arrive to work, the work is, it was all a lie. They are put in cardboard houses that, are, that they have to build themselves with cardboard and plastic sheets that come from the packaging of the chemicals and pesticides used in agriculture. So they live in toxic houses. They have to find a way of surviving extreme temperatures. As in this geographic region, sometimes it's very cold, sometimes it's very hot. And these workers have no health care cover. For decades, they have been working with no health insurance and no work entitlement. They work between 12 and 15 hours a day and have paid about 7 US dollars with no overtime and without any rights for women and mothers. There is also sexual harassment and abuse. And well, so many horrible stories I could go on. We have testimonies of children that worked in the fields, testimonies of child labor. We have those testimonies. Of course, they are now saying there is no ch- child labor in San Quintin. Probably it can be true that at this precise moment there won't be child labor in San Quentin. But if we continue to allow the current situation, children would come back to the field. That is why we stood up and said, basta. Said, that is enough. The first thing we want is a union that actually represents us as rural workers because there have been unions there but they have never represented us.
0: Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us. And This situation is really disgraceful. And Well, generally speaking, workers' rights in Mexico are not were well respected after all. And in at least the last couple of decades, many social gains had been eroded. Uh, I would like to know if the workers in San Quintin, the way the workers in San Quintin are treated is legal under the Mexican law, or is it an abuse even over the, under the Mexican law?
3: Yeah, no, it's not legal. Our constitution talks about the eight hours work day, our right to at least one day off, and overtime payment when you exceeded your working day, as well as paid holidays. There are people that have worked for 20 or 30 years and have never had a holiday. People who work seven days a week and that seventh day is not paid the double wage. We call it modern slavery, where people are overexploited, where people are paid below the minimum wage, while the businessmen make millions. That is the case of the company we're boycotting at the moment, Briscoe Company, as well as other companies. But that is the biggest and most visible one. They have multi-million dollar revenues, but pay peanuts to the workers.
0: In 1994, Mexico signed a free trade agreement with Canada and the United States, the NAFTA, leaving Mexico in very clear disadvantage in terms of bargaining rights. In your opinion, have the employment situation been further deteriorated in the last couple of decades as a result of NAFTA?
3: Well, uh, the situation has not changed much. As I said, I, I worked there since I was 10. This is over 20 years ago. And the price of the harvested product That back then was tomato, was 50 cents a bucket. Now they pay three or three fifty dollars. As you see, in over 20 years, the value has increased by a little only. But the product you buy in the market is a lot more than that. Only revenue has grown, but the workers don't receive anything. So despite being
0: illegal, this situation is somehow allowed. Um, What has been the involvement of the Mexican authorities when the violation of workers' rights by multinationals is brought up to their attention?
3: Um, we We began our strike in March 17th. We have already given our set of demands to the local government, and there was no response. So thousands of jornaleros went on strike, and the response then was repression and bullets. There was brutal repression in which women and children were beaten, houses searched without warrants, many people were put in prison. We had political prisoners that were incarcerated for six months, and the amount of their bail would be the equivalent of 500 years of work with their current wages. Real criminals get released paying a few thousands of pesos. It is a lot of cruelty, not just inefficiency in giving response, but cruelty. There is no will on behalf of the government or the companies to negotiate and give response to the workers. It is almost a year later and the situation has not improved. In some cases, it may even be worse. In some of the fields, because of our campaign, wages went up, but the increases in wages, less than 15%, came with an increase in the work expectations and the amount of product that was demanded from workers. So... Most workers have not seen the pay increase. During the strike, the government tried making us look like we were violent because we protested, but what was, that was not true. It was long struggle. For over two months, we were camping in the city, waiting for a response. That response, nearly a year later, has not arrived. On this International
0: Women's Day, we are speaking with Gloria Gracida Martinez, a Mexican activist, a teacher, and the spokesperson of the National Alliance of Organizations for Social Justice. And we were speaking about the situation of very picking workers south of the border of the United States. Nearly a year on, since the workers said basta, enough, and commenced a march and a strike, some winnings had been made. Just recently the San Quintin workers created the national democratic and independent union of agricultural workers. What does that mean for the
3: movement, Gloria? It means both a beginning and an end. It is the end of being invisible and have no representation. It is also the beginning of a struggle that will continue for the rest of our lives because it is the official beginning of our life as jornaleros because we had no representation before. The representatives are all workers that spend the day working in the fields. Our president is a 26-year-old man who works all day and after work, he goes to the office to talk to people and join them to the union. It is a victory for us. Now, finally, the, the Jornaleros know who represent them. In the past, contracts, agreements would be negotiated and we had no say. Unions that were not ours would negotiate and we had nobody to go to and complain. And they did not care. Now our representatives are jornaleros. So it is the beginning of our future. As Cesar Chavez said, we have been, we have seen the future and the future is ours. This union is ours and therefore is our future. And it is our best weapon, our nonviolent weapon to fight depression and exploitation.
0: So working together and being recognized as a union is a great victory. Congratulations for the efforts and sacrifices of the Jornaleras and Jornaleros.
3: Um, What is the movement up to at the moment? At the moment, we are trying to bring our message across Mexico and to other countries. We do a lot of work with the United States because it is close and it is very important for us. But we also want to inform other countries where Driscoll products get exported. People have so far given great response. We encourage people in Mexico, in the USA, and across the world to share information about our campaign. Having our union gives us hope and energy. It is a dream come true. I would like to read a quote by Jormelero Cesar Chavez. He once said, Once social changes begins, it cannot be reversed. You cannot uneducate un- the person who has learned to read. You cannot humiliate the person who, ha- who feels pride. You cannot oppress the people who are not afraid anymore. We have seen the future, and the future is ours.
0: We just heard from Gloria Gracida, a Mexican activist, a teacher, and a former rural worker talking about the strike of berry pickers in Mexico and the recent formation of their union. You can listen to the full interview in our next program. I thank Coral Montero for lending her voice for the voiceover. We also heard from Lisa Massa, a Filipino activist visiting Australia, talking about military bases and the role of American imperialism in the Asia-Pacific region. This is all we have time for on today's International Women's Day edition of Accent of Women. If you want to hear this show again, or any of our other programs, you can download the podcast from the 3 3CR website, 3 and that's with the digit 3 and not spelled out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3 and is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network. If you want to get in touch with the producers of this show, You can contact us by writing to accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning into the show today. I'm Lourdes García Larqué and I look forward to your company again in our next program.